0: Welcome to the podcast of Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. We hope that you enjoy the sermons and other audio provided by us. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it will be beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. If you would turn in your Bibles to First Peter, chapter 3, we're going to be finishing up chapter 3 tonight. Peter, chapter three. We're going to start in verse eighteen. This uh, passage, particularly verse eighteen, is one of my favorite passages in the book of First Peter. Um, it, verse eighteen, is almost like a in a nutshell. This is what the gospel is: uh, that that Christ died for sinners. Once for all, the just for the unjust, in order that he might bring us to God. I mean, that's the gospel, right there in a sentence. And uh, I love just preaching on that verse, but we're not going to just focus in on that verse. We're going to look at the whole context here. And and look at, at, at verse 18 through the end of the chapter. And this, when, whenever I opened up my commentary to look at it, the very first sentence was, this is one of the most difficult passages in the New Testament to understand. So, it is a bit complicated. It is a bit murky. Um, there are various positions about what certain things are. And for time's sake, I'm not going to list every single position that's out there on these things. I'm going to go ahead and advocate what I think is, is the correct teaching. And, uh, and you can be Bereans, uh, look it up on your own, search the scriptures. Look at commentaries and see what those other views are, um, and, and be convinced on your own mind. Um, this is not a passage that I think, uh, is divisive, uh, even though there are many different interpretations of it, um, I think, uh, it's not something that we would have to cut fellowship over or anything like that, but it is one that's confusing to me and, and difficult to understand, so, um, one with the up, with the interest of time, and one so that I'm not, so that I'm clear, and so that I'm I'm not all over the place. I'm just going to try to give my explanation and not try to list everything. Okay, um, and let's remember where we've come from. Okay, um, first chapter, we are praising God for the wonderful things that He's done for us in Jesus. Because he's caused us to be born again, we have a future hope that we, we are awaiting that can never pass away, that can never fade. It's always eternal. It, you know, it, it's not like moth or rust. It, it's not like uh, you know the things of this earth that moth and rust can destroy. But no, it is. It is firm. It is secure. And and God will hold on to us forever. If we have truly trusted in Jesus, He will never let us go. I mean, those are things that we need to praise God for, right? Get us in a good mood to get started here. (laughs) Those are things we should praise God for. And then on the basis of the fact that He has done these wonderful things in Christ, we are to... Be holy as He is holy. We are to live in the fear of God. We are to love one another fervently with a with a uh, pure heart. We are to um, abstain from everything that is evil. We're to uh, put off the old life and long for the milk of the Word. Right? All of those things are the implications of why we uh, are, are the implications of the fact that He has has done all these wonderful things in our lives, and we live like strangers and aliens in this world. We are living in the midst of a hostile world, let's not forget that. And it is the ordinary experience for believers to experience suffering and opposition and in many places persecution. passage we looked at gives us confidence, right? In the midst of persecution. He says, now who is there to harm you if you are if you prove zealous for what is good? He gives us confidence that even if they persecute us, even if they kill us, they can't harm us. That, that'll blow your mind, right? Even if they kill us, they can't harm us because we have a future hope That we will be one day resurrected with Jesus and we will live forever with Him and it will never fade away. You know, all all of of what we have heard before. Even if they kill us, they can harm us. And, And we will face all kinds of suffering. And in this passage, Peter draws a parallel. He's saying, you experience suffering in this life and you're to experience that suffering like Jesus did he is to, uh, we're, we're to follow his example like what we saw in um, uh, whenever he talked about I believe it was slaves and masters where he, he said uh, we're to walk in his steps like after he did here he uses a very similar comparison here he says just as we experience suffering in this life Jesus experienced suffering. And the overall text here is saying, Jesus' suffering was the pathway to glory. We'll see that in our text. And just like Jesus' suffering was the pathway to glory, our suffering that we experience in this life is the pathway to glory. And when, what can give us more confidence in the face of suffering and persecution than to know this is the pattern that God uses. Suffering leads to glory. Just as it was for Jesus, so it will be for us. When we experience suffering, we know that He's working out His purposes for us and He's leading us to ultimate gain. Glory. Let's look at our text beginning in verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. In which he went and proclaimed to the spirits now in prison, because they formerly did not obey. when God's God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to Him. This is the Word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we, again, we love You. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. And help me, Lord, to to proclaim Your Word. Pray that You would help us Lord, to be sustained and given strength by drawing on what your word says about our suffering. Lord, help us to look to Jesus as the one who suffered for us. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name. Well, here's the picture of the text. Bird's eye view. 100,000 or 1,000... Uh, uh, I can't think. 10,000 square feet. Or, no, 10,000 feet high, you know. Uh, it's, uh, it's like this. Christ suffered for us and He not only suffered, but He died and He rose again. And after He rose again, He ascended to the right hand of God where he now sits at the Father's hand and he has subject subjected all of his enemies under his feet. He was one who suffered and now has been exalted to the name above every name. He has been exalted to the highest position, and everyone bows to him, even the angels. That's that's the bird's eye view. That's the that's the high you know, look looking down on on the text. Let's look at it closer. For Christ also suffered. You suffered. And I don't know what you're going through this week. I was sharing before church began. Friday was the worst day at work ever. (laughs) Friday, at my work day, I mean, I only had a few jobs, They shouldn't have taken that long. And I worked a 13 and a half hour day. Everything that could go wrong went wrong. And maybe you've been there. (laughs) Not just same things going wrong wrong at work, but um, opposition, um, persecution, those who accuse believers of of being hateful or other things because of, of the... Stand that we have on the Word of God, um, all of those things, we suffer for Christ also suffering. We're identifying with Jesus. When we experience suffering, we're identifying with Him. Jesus' suffering had a purpose. Christ also suffered once for all Uh, Once for sins. He suffered once for sins. I I, I can focus in on both of those words. Once and sins. For sins. First of all, Jesus suffered and He died for sins. He was a sacrifice. He was our substitute. The Old Testament tells us that uh, There was a sacrificial system in which in order to have sins forgiven, blood had to be shed. We see it in the very first chapters of the Bible whenever uh, Adam and Eve had tried to cover themselves with fig leaves and their covering would not cover their shame. But, But the Lord killed an animal and gave them coverings to cover their shame. And the sacrificial system later, um, an animal had to die. A goat or a a bull or some kind of of animal had to die as a sacrifice and that animal took the place of the one who was coming and bringing the sacrifice. God was angry with us. He, He is angry with sinners. And instead of pouring out His wrath on the sinner, the sacrifice was made so that God's wrath was appeased. God's wrath was propitiated. It was was, um, satisfied. And Jesus suffered and died for our sins. He died as our substitute. We deserved God's wrath. We deserved God's punishment. We deserved hell. And Jesus suffered four sins. He did it once. He did it once. Uh, Hebrews tells us that it was once for all. Right? The, the Old Testament sacrificial system. It had to be over and over and over and over again. There was no end in sight to any of the sacrifices that were to be made. They had, of course, the one big one every year at the Day of Atonement, but there were also many, many other sacrifices. And it must have been that the, if you were to go to the temple, it must have smelled like a slaughterhouse. It was a very bloody thing. The sacrificial death that He had was sufficient. It was once for all. We don't have to come and bring sacrifices over and over and over again. He died once for all. Both our past sins, our present sins, and our future sins have been taken away by Jesus once for all. Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. We are all unrighteous. We are all sinners. We are like our father Adam and we transgress God's law. We're born sinners, and as soon as we're morally capable of any kind of of moral reasoning, we transgress the law and we become what some of the old uh, um, statements, statements of faith call actual transgressors. We have all broken God's law. We are all guilty, guilty, guilty. And Jesus was righteous, He was holy. He lived a perfect, spotless life. He never sinned one time. He always did what was according to His Father's will. He did not deserve to die. He was an innocent man. The righteous one died in the place of the unrighteous, you and me. Jesus, the righteous one, died in the place of you and me. His death was sufficient. It was substitutionary. It was sacrificial. The righteous for the unrighteous was substitutionary. That he might bring us to God. It was for reconciliation. We were once alienated. We were once God's enemies. We were once um, without hope in the world. And Jesus' death was to bring us to God. To reconcile us to Him. We would no longer be His enemies, but we are now His sons and daughters. First Peter tells us, we've been born again to a new hope. Right? We've been born again. We've been adopted into His family. We're now brothers and sisters in Jesus who've been born again of an imperishable seed. We were once in darkness, and He's brought us into His marvelous light. We were once not a people, and we are now the people of God. All of those things that we've already been seeing in 1 Peter, He died, He suffered in order to bring us to God. It was for reconciliation. He brought us to God. And He was victorious. He was put to death in the flesh. That is he, he he was his his body was literally really dead. He really died. That, but he was it says he was made alive in the spirit. Um, the preposition there for in in it is it has a kind of a, a bigger range of meaning and it can also that the preposition in in, uh, in Greek can mean by, and I'm going to take that as by the Spirit. It was you know the the, the, uh, the um I think it's the Book of Romans that tells us that the, the, the God the Father rose this rose Jesus from the dead, and uh, I think the Spirit was involved in that too. Just like He's involved in our resurrection, right? Uh, he's the one who the Spirit is the one who opens our eyes. He's the one who brings us new life. He's the one who quickens us and brings us to life though we were dead. So Jesus, uh, was, though He was dead, He was made alive again by the Spirit. Um, So His death was victorious. And just like Jesus' death was victorious, so ours will be. Death cannot keep us down. Um I want to quote a Johnny Cash song, but I can't think of words right now. <laughs> uh, ain't no grave can keep this body down, right? Ain't no grave can keep this body down. Jesus' death was victorious, it was the first uh, the first fruits of the resurrection. One day he's gonna come again, and all of us, though we may die in this life, will be raised with him deaths will be victorious as well. So here we see the the purpose and the plan of God in in sending His Son, Jesus, to die. He, He suffered, though He didn't deserve any suffering, He suffered once sufficiently, righteous for the unrighteous, substitutionary, for sins, sacrificially, to bring us to God, it was for reconciliation and victorious. Here comes the hard part. In which he went and proclaimed the spirits in prison. Because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared. So here's the question. What is this talking about? Jesus went and proclaimed the spirits in prison. Where do we read about that? Besides here, um, there are a few hints. I think Colossians is one place that talks about how how Jesus um, uh, proclaimed spirit uh, proclaimed um, victory over the spirits. Um, here's what I think this is talking about. So, the spirits in prison. Who are they? Amanda read to us from Genesis chapter six, um, and as I preached about that a few months ago, we have what my position that I advocated for then was that that uh, the the uh, these people that were uh, these uh, sons of God and the daughters of men, the sons of God were angelic beings who came down and and intermarried with. Um, with uh, human women and children were born to do. And uh, I would say that these spirits in prison are these angelic beings who were fallen angels who were, uh, you know, you, you couldn't kill the the angels in the in the flood. And so God took them and, and held them captive. He held healed them in prison and waiting until the final judgment. Okay. Hopefully that's, that's not too uh, unclear. Um, now, what about this Jesus went and proclaimed to the spirits now in prison? Now, um, the Apostles' Creed. Anybody familiar with the Apostles' Creed? I believe in God the Father, Almighty, Maker of Heaven, and Maker of Earth. I, I owe uh, Rich Mullins the fact that I have that memorized. So. <laughs> I believe in God the Father, Almighty Maker of heaven, Maker of heaven. Well, one of the lines in that Apostles' Creed is that Jesus descended into hell and on the third day rose again. This is a very, very ancient creed, and, and the early church believed that Jesus descended into hell. Now, uh, I believe that it is wrong to say that Jesus went to hell to suffer more because the cross wasn't good enough. That's wrong. The cross was enough. Jesus said on the cross, It is finished. Right? It's finished. He accomplished it once for all on the cross. He didn't have to go to hell to suffer for us. No. Instead, I think what this text is saying is, and I think what the Apostles' Creed is talking about, is that when after he Died and was made alive by the Spirit. He went into the into hell and proclaimed to those spirits who were um, held captive since the time of the flood. Um, this is a difficult text, <laughs> um, and when it says "proclaim" there. It does not use the word for preaching the Gospel. It uses just the word for general heralding. So I think when after the resurrection, He went to, he descended into hell, like the Apostles' Creed tells us, and he, pro, he preached a victory sermon. He said, you have all been defeated. He proclaimed, they, the, these spirits that were held in prison are defeated, they are condemned, Jesus has won. He gave a victory speech. To the to the um, fallen angelic powers. And why were these spirits in prison verse 20 because they formerly did not obey when, God, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah. Well these spirits that were in prison they had to be from the time of Noah. that's one reason why I, I hold the position I do. these spirits were those fallen angelic beings. Um, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. And um, here's something we can see there. There were a few God's people who uh, were, were, were saved in the midst of the whole world being condemned. And just think of how Noah would have experienced living in a hostile world. How he would have experienced people hurling insults at him for what he was doing. What? An ark? What are you talking about, Noah? I don't see a cloud in the sky. God told you to do this? Oh! But, God saved Just a small number of people. Now, we experience suffering and we live in the midst of a hostile world and though we may be few in the world's eyes, God saved us. Just a few. Here's where it gets even... You thought that was hard. (laughs) Here, It's getting even harder with this next verse say eight persons were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a result of dirt from the removal, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What? This is a Baptist church. <laughs> Baptism now saves you. Okay, we got to wrestle with this. Okay. Because we're the first people to say baptism doesn't save, but what is this text saying? Corresponding to this, the word there uh, that's translated corresponding to this is is uh, is the it's it's um, it's using the language of a type, you know, a, a type or a symbol, and and so I think when we when it's talking here about baptism now saves us, it's talking about this this symbol. It's using Picture, figurative type language. I, I don't, and, and he even r- corrects any kind of um, misunderstanding. He, he pushes back and says, "No, no, no, no! It's not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but it's an appeal to God for a good conscience." Right? Um, how were the eight people there on the ark saved through water? Think about this. They were saved through water. The water was the death and destruction, right? The water was what came and killed. It wasn't washing away all their sins in the flood. The water was what came and killed. And they were saved through that by being in the ark, right? Corresponding to this, like that, like how these people were saved through the water. Of course, my baptism now saves you. Well, what is it that baptism pictures? And all of us good Baptists can say, <laughs> baptism pictures the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. The water, just like the flood analogy, is what the grave is. It is the death and destruction. And when we're baptized, we are put under the water, symbolizing the fact that we have died with Christ, identifying with Him, and when we're raised up, we're symbolizing that, that we now live a new life. That just as Jesus was risen up, so we are raised to live a newness of life with Him. And so, there's this picture, whatever it says, baptism now saves you. I don't believe that it's the actual act of baptism, but it's what baptism represents. Right? It's the fact that, just as in that picture, we we are dying to our old selves and being raised to live in the newness of life with Jesus. He says... Not a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience. What is it about baptism? What is it? It says it's an appeal to God for a good conscience, or a pledge to God for a good conscience. Um, Who is to be baptized? Someone whose conscience has been pledged. Someone whose conscience has been cleansed because we know that we have been forgiven because we've trusted in the Savior. It's not the act of going under the water and raising it out of the water that saves us. It's what it represents, and it is, as the text here tells us, a pledge to God for a good conscience. It's saying, Jesus has cleansed me. I am, I am clean. He has washed away my sins. I have died to the old man that I was. And I have been raised to live the newness of life. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What is our good conscience based upon? Not anything we've done. That is all about the resurrection of Jesus. How do we know we've really been forgiven? Is Jesus raised from the dead? If Jesus hadn't raised from the dead, if Jesus had just died and stayed there, how would we know our sins are forgiven? We could point back, you know. The, first of all, Christianity would have never gotten off the ground if Jesus hadn't risen from the dead. But just think, imagine if it did, and we were here two thousand years later, singing songs about a dead guy. We wouldn't do it. (laughs) We wouldn't do it. No. We have confidence that our sins are forgiven because He rose from the dead. He lives. He lives. Who has, that's Jesus, He has gone into heaven. So, we're back here to the progression. Where he was taking in a, kind of an aside there for a little while um, uh, talking about all of these different things that we find very confusing. Let's kind of go back again. He he suffered once for sins the just for the, the unjust being put to death in the flesh made alive in the spirit death, resurrection and now he has ascended right? Through the resurrection of Jesus who has gone up into heaven we know the ascension Jesus is he bodily ascended. We can read about it in chapter 1. The, angels were all, uh, the, the disciples were all standing around looking into the sky and the angels came up and said, hey, what y'all looking at? <laughs> Same way He left, He's going to come back again someday. He's ascended into heaven. He's at the Father's right hand ruling and reigning with the Father. He is King today. with the angels, authorities, and powers all being subjected to Him. The highest kind of being that you could possibly imagine, and it's subject to Jesus. Jesus he is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is ruling by God the Father's right hand, even the angels submit to Him. He has put all enemies under His feet. All this from one who was an innocent sufferer. He suffered like we suffer, And He died and He rose again and He's now seated ruling over all of the universe. We suffer, and our hope is in that living hope of the future that will never fade, will never pass away, that one day, He is coming again. He will wipe away every tear from every eye. He will make it to where there's no longer any pain, no longer any suffering, no longer any bad breath. <laughs> so how do we live in a Hostile world, we remember. And when we face suffering, when we face hostility for Jesus, we are following after the same path that Jesus did, and his path led to glory. And our path, as we continue to follow him, leads. listening to this message from Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. For more information, please visit us at RedeemerBaptistPanama.com or you can like us on Facebook.